Well, speaking of the Word of God, we are in Daniel chapter number 3 today. So if you have your Bible with you, I would encourage you to open up to the book of Daniel chapter number 3. I'm going to start with a story that's very, very familiar if you were raised in Sunday school, if you've been in church uh, at any uh, time in your life, you've probably heard the story of the three Hebrew children, commonly referred to as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In chapter 3, we find that King Nebuchadnezzar has ordered a decree. They built this huge image. And, uh, and the decree of Nebuchadnezzar was whenever the entire kingdom heard the sound of music, and we'll read it here in just a moment, that everyone in the kingdom was supposed to fall down and worship uh, toward that uh, image that they had set up. Now, the three Hebrew children, uh, being faithful to God, we're going to see here that they refused to o- uh, obey the king's order. So having said that, uh, let's uh, begin reading in Daniel chapter number 3 and verse number 9. They spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. Obviously, we see that music is almost always affiliated with some type of worship. I think there's an important truth that we remember that while you've got all kinds of music, you've also got all kinds of worship. We're living in a day and age where pagan music is associated with godly worship. And I think that that's a travesty. I think that uh, it's a shame, but that's not our message for today. As we continue reading, the Bible says here in verse number 11, And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. This is no doubt the same furnace that they used to make that huge golden image. And in verse number 12, There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, and psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music... Ye shall fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? That is a challenge from an earthly king against the king of the universe. Verse number 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. 
Verse number 18 is the focus of our message here this morning. In verse 18 they said, But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the subject, Trusting Providence. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes and let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, we ask you that you would bless the message today. We certainly need your blessings. Uh, Father, if this is going to do any eternal good, then uh, the Holy Spirit's going to have to put uh, your hand upon it. We ask that you do so. Help us to communicate clearly and concisely and to make the truths of the Word of God plain and simple so that even children, regardless of their age, can grasp these con- uh, concepts. We pray, Father, that you'd help us to learn and to continue to trust your providence in our lives. Lord, we're in a very interesting time, uh, things that we're going through that we've never had to deal with before. May we learn to trust the providence of God. We ask your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. More and more I see a generation that is departing from God. I think it usually starts by questioning God. And then once a person questions God, uh, often they will ultimately reject Him. And I see many people who have questioned God, rejected God, and ultimately end up hating God. When we're out on the street doing street ministry, holding up gospel signs that say, ye must be born again, I'm amazed at how that some people, uh, many people will go by and give us a thumbs up and you, you can tell that they appreciate what we're doing. But then there are more and more people as time goes on that just have apathy, just refuse to even look. They know what we're representing and they know who we are and they just refuse to look. But then the other category I see more and more is the category of antagonism. And sometimes I wonder about that. Uh, I don't expect everyone to believe the way that we believe. But you know, when I when I drive by somebody that has a different belief system than I do, It doesn't stir up anger or hatred in my heart. But there are many as they go by that you can tell that they are instantly, as soon as they see who we are and who we're representing, there is antagonism. There is a resentment or a hatefulness that's displayed in their countenance as well as uh, every now and then other gestures. Yesterday on street ministry, it was so refreshing a young man actually crossed a busy road to go and talk to one of the gentlemen in our church and uh, had some uh, asked him to pray for him. And you know, this young man was, you could tell that he was very sincere and earnest and he had a heart that was seeking for God. And I thought, wow, that is so refreshing. How often nowadays do we find people with a, with a heart that's tender and a hungry heart that's actually seeking and yearning for God and trying to learn His Word and what God would have us to do. It was so refreshing. If I could draw our attention uh, back to the three Hebrew children. We read here in the Scripture that they had names that were given to them by their fathers, but then they also had names that were given to them by um, by the pagans there in Babylon. The three Hebrew children are Hananiah, which means God has been gracious. The second was Mishael, which means as God is. And the third was Azariah, which means 
God has helped. Three Hebrew children with three very special names that all uh, reflect a desire to glorify the God of heaven. And so obviously, as they were taken captive, their captors who were pagan, who, who were not believers in God, they changed their name to something that fit within their own religion and belief system. What did they change their names to? Well, you're familiar with it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In fact, more often than not, that's how we refer to uh, these three Hebrews. The name Shadrach means command of Aku, Aku being their moon god. The uh, name Meshach means as Aku is, or as our moon god is. And Abednego means slave of Nebo, Nebo being their god of agriculture or vegetation, whichever way you'd like to refer to it. Now personally, and listen, I don't get nitpicky, I don't expect everybody to do what I do and see things the way that I see, but me personally, I like to refer, unless I'm reading the scripture in which the king or the pagans are referring to them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I personally like to refer to them as Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I know that if I were taken uh, captive and they changed my name to something that glorified the devil, I would, I would wish that my friends and family would remember the, the God-given name and refer to me as a name that glorifies God. So Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are in a very desperate situation. Folks, there's a time that comes in all of our lives in which we desperately will need God. The list could go, could be a, a large list, but there's issues of sickness, financial crisis, personal tragedy, uh, relational problems, and so forth. And we could just continue adding to that list. And I'd like to, to remind you that the Word of God, the Scripture, is filled with some very claimable promises. Let me give you several samples this morning. Psalm 46, verse number 1. David said, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Isn't that great news? God is our refuge, our strength. He is a very present. He's right there and He's ready to help us in our time of trouble. I think of Jeremiah 33, verse number 3 where the Bible goes on to say, Call unto me. This is God speaking to His people. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And then in the New Testament, we find Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 20, of one of my personal favorites. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Notice it says the power that worketh in us. It doesn't necessarily say the power that worketh for us. And you know, in the New Testament particularly, I'd like to remind all of you believers that God is more interested in what He's doing in us than what He's doing for us. This is a very dis different dispensation, the church age, than uh, than it was in the Old Testament during the time of Israel and so forth. Now the people of Babylon had been given a national order. I think we're familiar with national orders and state orders and I know that uh, during this coronavirus pandemic that 
Even uh, local municipalities, cities and counties are often adding to the, the, the national or the state orders. We're very, it's very fresh on our mind, the government telling us what we can and we cannot do. We're not used to that as Americans. But you know, what we need to remember is that the freedom that we have enjoyed, the privilege of the freedom that we have in America, in many ways we've taken it for granted because there's really not any other place or time in the history of humanity in which common people have enjoyed the liberty and freedom that we have. We have so many rights that people of past generations they they wouldn't even imagine, they wouldn't even think about having some of the rights and privileges that we have here today. We ought to thank God for establishing uh, this nation. We ought to thank God for our founding fathers who drew wisdom from the Scripture as they established the Bill of Rights and all of the things that protect our freedoms. We owe it to the God of the Bible. You know, God chose Israel as His nation But I heard a preacher say years ago, one of the amazing things about our founding fathers is that they chose God, the God of the Bible, to be their God. This nation was not founded to be free from the God of the Bible. This nation was founded upon the principles of the God of the Bible. And so the people of Babylon, including Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, have been given a national order. When you hear the music, you better bow down and you better worship. The penalty for not keeping it uh, was not incarceration. They weren't going to get a ticket. They weren't going to. What was going to happen was they were instantly going to receive capital punishment, and it wasn't going to be a humane capital punishment. It was going to be the punishment of being thrown alive into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, if you were to read the rest of chapter number 3, you'd find that when Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were thrown into that furnace, the people that threw them in, I mean, they were instantly just burnt up because that fire was so hot. Now, when we think about these three Hebrews and this whole story, when the order was given... We don't find them protesting. Uh, We don't find them making a big to-do. We just simply find them quietly and simply refusing to comply. They were defiant. But their defiance was not out of stubbornness or pride or selfishness or rebellion. Their defiance was out of faith. When we get to the end of the message today, we're going to see that faith will at times produce defiance when it comes to uh, all of the authorities around us. And so having said all that, I'm going to give you some principles for the message today. We're going to repeat them several different times, but let me give you some principles of God's providence. We're talking about the providence of God and trusting it. First of all, number one, We need to know that God is able, but not always willing. You know, there is not a thing that God is not able to do. He has done so many miraculous things. He spoke this entire creation into existence. He he is able, but we need to remember that He's not always willing. We've got a generation of young people. Listen, boys and girls, 
as you're sitting there in the floor or on your couch and listening to the broadcast here today, boys and girls, when you ask your parents for something, they're not always going to say yes. I mean, uh, oftentimes they will say no. And the reason being, sometimes they can buy you what you want or they have time to do what you want, but that doesn't mean that it's always best for you. You see, uh, you know, God doesn't make uh, His children into spoiled brats. And I'm thankful for that. He's always able, but He's not always willing. Which brings us to the second point that is connected to the first point, and that is number two, God knows what's best for us. We can always trust that no matter what happens, God knows what's best. Now, I've had times in my life where I thought I knew what was best for me. And uh, I had it all figured out in my mind how I wanted God to do things the way that I wanted it done. And uh, God didn't do it my way. He did it His way. And then I could look back at the pathway of my life and I could say, wow, God, I'm glad you didn't answer my prayer request. I'm glad that you knew better because if you would have done it my way, it would have been a disaster. But now looking back, I can see that you always know what's best. Number three, God has a perfect plan. God is a providential, sovereign God, and He has a perfect and a custom-fit plan for your life and for my life. The plan that He has for me is a different plan than He has for you. The plan that He has for your children is very custom and very personal for them, and it's not always the same plan as He has for you. In fact, frequently, it is very different. And I know parents always want certain things for their children, but the best thing that we can want for our children is that they find the perfect will of God, and then they do it. Because God has a perfect plan. He makes no mistakes. Number four, sometimes, sometimes He gives us a choice. And we'll see more about that here in just a few minutes. I was reading not too long ago about George Washington and about the Revolutionary War. And, you know, there were times when uh, George Washington, as a general, he had the weight of the entire revolution on his shoulders. I mean, they were losing the war and his soldiers were starving and they were freezing to death. And he had all of this bearing upon him and then... Uh, you know, they didn't know how they were even going to fight the next battle. But there were times as he was meeting with his generals and all of the leaders trying to map out a plan, a strategy for the next battle, there were times when uh, one of his commanding officers would raise a question and they would say, well, what if the enemy does this? Or what if the enemy does that? And George Washington would simply make a statement. He said, well, then... We must choose to fall in the hands of providence. One thing I appreciate about George Washington is there were times when he realized that his control was limited and he tried to follow and trust in the providence of God. One of the areas that he trusted in the providence of God was you've seen the famous painting of George Washington and the soldiers crossing the Delaware. Now, I'm sure that George Washington didn't pose the way that the pictures always show it. But I will say this, when they crossed the Delaware River, 
It was that decision in the midst of the cold and being outnumbered by the enemy. They crossed the Delaware River at night. They snuck up on those Haitian soldiers and they defeated them in a battle. And as you study the history of the Revolutionary War, it was that battle that became a turning point in the Revolutionary War. And it was all because the commander, George Washington, was willing to trust in the providence of God. I'd like to take the remaining time that we have, and I've drawn out several examples in the Bible of men trusting in the providence of God. I cannot, I mean, I could easily draw out a hundred, but there I've chosen several that I believe that make the point of trusting the providence of God. In Joshua chapter number 10, we find that Joshua, the successor of Moses, is in a major crisis. We'll pick up reading in verse number 12. Then spake Joshua to the Lord, in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed, until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven, and hasted not to go down about a whole day. And there was no day like that before it or after it that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Joshua's in a crisis. He's been sent to defeat the enemy but he's running out of time. And so Joshua, in his faith and his trust in the providence of God, he asked the Lord to make the sun and the moon stand still. I remember in grade school, uh, they always had these, uh, I forget what they were called, they would show the, the solar system. And uh, you could all these things were attached by mechanisms and you could actually turn the earth and make the earth rotate. And as it did, all of these mechanical arms were extended out and everything would rotate simultaneously just like it's going on in the universe. You know, when Joshua prayed and asked God, he knew that God was able. And it's interesting to find that God was indeed willing and he made the earth stop rotating. I mean, the moon stopped rotating around the earth and everything in the universe basically just stood still for about the time of a whole day. Folks, that's some power with God. God is able and God was willing. But you know, we've got to understand that God is always able and He's always willing. God knows what's best for us. God has a perfect plan. Sometimes He gives us a choice. The entire history of the nation of Israel is a continued story of God's providential deliverance. Folks, we can understand some things about this story and know that we can trust in the providence of God. That brings me to the second crisis. A king by the name of Hezekiah. And uh, he's in, uh, you talk about between a rock and a hard place. He is uh, getting ready to be defeated by an army that has him greatly outnumbered. I mean, it would, this would be like the, the New England Patriots going against your favorite high school team in football. It, it just wasn't even going to be a battle. In 2 Kings chapter 19 and verse 3, And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble 
and of rebuke and blasphemy. For the children are come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. What's Hezekiah saying? Hezekiah was king, and he was a good, godly king. In fact, during his reign, you had a spiritual revival going on in the nation of Israel. You had people turning away from Baal worship and turning back to the God of Israel. And you find that God was blessing them. But some of the the problems from the previous kings that had not been serving the God of Israel, uh, there were still problems with enemies. And so all of these wonderful spiritual revival things are going on in the nation. And here comes Rabshaki, a great general, a mighty general from the, the nation of Assyria. And he comes and he shows up and besieges the city. And he is, he's basically mocking the God of heaven. He's mocking Hezekiah. And Hezekiah is lamenting the fact that God, we were just ready to have a major revival. So many wonderful things are going, uh, getting ready to happen. And now this. And you know, God hears the prayer of Hezekiah and delivers him. Rabshaki gets a message that he needs to go back uh, back home. And when he goes back home, he's assassinated by people that are close to him. The whole thing just falls apart uh, because Rabshaki, he didn't pick a fight with Hezekiah. He did the foolish thing of picking a fight with the God of heaven. He blasphemed God. Boy, that's one of the most foolish sins that anyone could ever commit is blaspheming, basically challenging and picking a fight with the God of heaven. And so God delivered Hezekiah when he was up against a battle that he knew there was no chance of winning the victory. And then later on in Hezekiah's life, he's faced with another crisis. He becomes sick, and I mean, he he has got a major sickness. His body is, he's got boils on him, which shows that he's got something going on in his blood, and he is so sick that they send for the prophet Isaiah. Hezekiah wants to know, am I going to live through this, or am I going to die? Isaiah shows up and tells him, you're going to die. And so Hezekiah, as we read here in 2 Kings 20, And verse number 1, in those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. The prophet Isaiah, the son of Amoz, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth, and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. You know, the rest of the narrative, we we show Hezekiah tells him you're going to die. He leaves. He's, He's heading out of the king's palace. And before he even gets across the courtyard, God speaks to Isaiah and says, I've heard Hezekiah's prayer. And I'm going to give him some more time. Go back and tell him. And so Isaiah turns around, goes back and stands before the king and tells him God's heard your prayer and he's going to give you 15 more years of life. Hezekiah said, how am I going to know that you've answered my prayer? And so he's given the choice. God says, I'll move the dial of Ahaz. I'll move it forward or I'll move it back 10 degrees. 
And uh, Hezekiah chooses, it's not a big deal to see the, the shadow and the sundial go forward, but to see it go back, that would be pretty incredible. And so God literally brought the shadow back 10 degrees. That's 40 minutes. That's quite a bit of time if you're standing there watching the shadow and a sundial. 40 minutes, God reversed time just as he had made the sun and the moon stand still for Joshua. He pulled back the clock 40 minutes just to prove to Hezekiah that he has heard his prayer. When you think about Hezekiah's crisis, you can't help but think about the providence of God. What are our four principles for the providence of God? It's quite simple. Number one, God is able, but not always willing. Number two, God knows what's best for us. Number three, God has a perfect plan. And number four, sometimes He gives us a choice. A prime example with Hezekiah that He gave Hezekiah a choice and He extended His life for 15 years. Now let me say this. We don't have time this morning to look at all of it. But you know, Hezekiah, God gave him that 15 extra years and Hezekiah, he made a mess out of things. I'm telling you what, what the, what ended up happening in his kingdom and with his children, he would have been way better off to accept the death sentence 15 years earlier because for that entire 15 extended years of his life, he lived for himself. He lived for his own glory. And ultimately, at the end of uh, uh, just a few years into this, God sent the prophet and said, I'm going to judge you by the nation of Babylon. And you know what Hezekiah said? He said, good is the word of the Lord. Is it not good that there be peace and truth in my days? Here's a man that didn't care what was going to happen to the next generation. He only was thinking about himself. Folks, that proves that in the providence of God, sometimes God gives us a choice, but we're always best to leave the choice up to God. Remember the time when David uh, numbered the children of Israel? And of course, there's a big uh, theological discussion there. One passage of Scripture, we find that uh, it was Satan that moved uh, David to number the children of Israel. Another place, we find that it was God. And I'm sure that even though that seems to be a confusing text, I'm sure that God's providence is just uh, just enveloping that entire situation. David numbers the children of Israel. God's unhappy with that decision. And uh, he offers David a choice of being defeated by his enemies, by pestilence and so forth. And you know what David said? He said, we're just going to fall in the hands of God. Don't let man judge us. Let God do it because David knew and understood that God was merciful. He said, we'd be better off to just leave the choice up to God because God is so merciful. The next crisis that I want us to consider is in the New Testament, and that's the Apostle Paul. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, the Bible says that in all of Paul's revelation, all of his doctrinal understanding of this church age mystery, the Bible says that there was given to him a thorn in the flesh. Let's read what the scripture says. 2 Corinthians 12 verse number 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, 
there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now, some people have tried to figure out what was that thorn in the flesh. Some have said it was uh, it was eyesight problems and so forth. I believe the text explains what the thorn in the flesh was. Notice the comma, and then it says, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Yes, Paul might have had problems with his eyesight, but Paul had all kinds of problems because God had assigned a messenger of Satan, allowed him to follow Paul around, and everywhere that Paul went, he would be persecuted, he'd be whipped, he'd be beaten, he'd uh, he'd be shipwrecked, uh, he would suffer all kinds of things, and God was allowing that within his providential plan for the sole purpose that Paul was the one to whom God was revealing all of these major doctrines of the church. And God didn't want Paul to be exalted. He didn't want him to become prideful or puffed up. And so God allowed this messenger of Satan to shadow Paul around. And everywhere that Paul went, there was some type of suffering that would be connected to that. Now notice what Paul says in verse number 8. He says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. I don't think that these were, now I lay me down to sleep type of prayers. I believe that these were passionate, serious, sincere, perhaps maybe all night prayer meetings where Paul is begging God. I'm sure that Paul was at the point, and I know I've felt this way at times, where you just feel like you're saying to God, God, I can't take it anymore. I can't handle this. Please, you've got to help me. You've got to fix this. Because I, I just can't take it anymore. Paul, no doubt, was in that situation. And he asked three times for God to make it depart. Now notice in verse number 9, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Folks, what can we learn? We can learn the principles of God's providence. Number one, God is able, but not always willing. Number two, God knows what's best for us. Number three, God has a perfect plan. And number four, sometimes, and only sometimes, does God give us a chance, give us a choice. All right, the last crisis that we'll look at, we won't take the time to read the entire passage. I'll explain it to you for sake of time. In Acts chapter number 12, we find two of the apostles. There's James and then there's Peter. In Acts chapter number 12, we find that uh, Herod, King Herod, that he takes James and he has him killed with the sword. Not a whole lot of narrative is given. It just simply says that Herod killed James with the sword. And then uh, as chapter 12 continues, we find that he takes and he, he puts Peter in prison also. And I think that he purpose, he, he, uh, very much uh, planned on killing Peter with the sword as well. But uh, the people of God began to pray. God opened up the prison gates and delivered Peter. And so uh, God allowed James to be killed, but he delivered Peter. What do we make of that? Well, it's really quite simple, folks. Number one, God is able, but not always willing. Number two, God knows what's best for us. Number three, God has a perfect plan. 
And number four, sometimes He gives us a choice. I think that the people of God who were praying for Peter after James was killed by the sword, I think the people of God realized we better get on our knees and we better start praying. Sometimes God will allow bad things to happen just to get us where we need to be so that we'll quit taking the goodness and the blessings of God for granted. In conclusion this morning, I draw your attention to Hebrews chapter number 11. This is the great chapter of faith. I mean, we've got stories about Noah and we've got Moses and Gideon and just so many stories go on and on how people did great things. They conquered armies and miracles were done through the faith of these heroes in the Bible. But as we get to the end of Hebrews 11, I want you to notice in verse number 36, the Scripture says, And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. These were men and women that had so much faith and trust in the providence of God that they refused deliverance. In many cases, they had to suffer starvation, destitute. In many cases, they were martyred. I mean, horrible, painful, suffering types of death simply because they would not reject God in order to receive their deliverance. Now, we think about Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, these three Hebrew children. We know how the story ends. They're cast into the fire. Inside the fire is the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's in the fire when they're cast and he, he, he protects them. In fact, not even their clothes had the smell of smoke on them. Uh, we were uh, burning some, uh, some tree trimmings just the other day and had it going in a burn barrel. And boy, you, you get within 10 feet, just walk by one time and you smell like smoke. These three Hebrews did not even have the smell of smoke on them. It was such a miraculous and a complete deliverance. We know how the story ends. But if we could back up to where we left off in the narrative, in verse number 18, there were three words that exemplify their faith. Once again, verse number 18, they said, but if not. They knew that their God was able. And they knew that God, if He wanted to, would deliver them from the fiery furnace from the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar. But they were so confident in their resolve that they said, but if not. Listen, folks. There are many things that we don't have control over. But there is one thing that the three Hebrew children had control over, and that was the but if not. They were willing to burn in the fire rather than bowing to that pagan statue, that pagan God. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 11, God's people 
in the future tribulation period are going to be persecuted in ways that we cannot even imagine. And the Bible says prophetically that they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Listen, folks, hey, we can claim this, at least on a practical basis. I know when the devil's fighting me, I I plead the blood of the Lamb. I'm glad that there's power in the blood of Jesus Christ. But doctrinally speaking, this is the Jew in the tribulation period because they, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, they refuse to take the mark of the beast and ultimately they end up giving their lives as martyrs. They love not their lives unto the death. I think about all that God has done for me personally. God's done so many things in my life. I mean, I look back in the last 35, 36 years, and I think, wow, God has been so good to me. Some of the prayers that I prayed, He's answered. Um, more often than not, or not, uh, there have been times, I should say, when I prayed a prayer and God's answered my prayer with suffering. We talked about that last week, and, and it wasn't the answer that I was looking for. But in hindsight, it's the answer that I needed. It accomplished what the answer to prayer only could accomplish. Many times in my life, I've seen that God's answered prayers, but usually it's not roll back the Red Sea type of answer. Usually it's not immediate response. But I can say this, in all of the time that I've served the Lord, I can say with any, without any shadow of doubt that God has been faithful. God has been faithful. He's always known what's best for me. And folks, He will always know and do what is best for you. Now in conclusion, we've been talking about trusting the providence of God in your life. For those of you listening that perhaps maybe you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, Regarding the salvation of your soul, I want to give you these four uh, very similar points. Number one, God is able and always willing. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Number two, God knows what's best for you. Oh, too often I see people that refuse to be saved thinking that God's going to Make them go and be a missionary or do something that they don't want to do. Like, if I get saved, God will ruin my life. Listen, if you're not saved, you don't have a life for Him to ruin. You're walking around you've never even experienced the life that God wants you to experience. God always knows what's best. Number three, God has a perfect plan. What is that plan? That plan is when He sent His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on Calvary's cross. He died, He was in the grave for three days and three nights, and then He resurrected. And that is His substitutionary death and sacrifice for us so that we can receive the forgiveness of sins. That is God's perfect plan. And it's a plan that will save you, it will save anyone Anyone, regardless of age, regardless of race, regardless of uh, your social standing, 
that perfect plan will save you if you'll just put your faith and trust. Number four, He certainly gives you a choice. Whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Are you a whosoever will this morning? God has a perfect plan. You have a choice. You can receive His forgiveness. You can receive His Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Or you can wait and ultimately reject Him. Trusting in the providence of God. God wants to save you. And He wants to give you eternal life. Believer, are you trusting in the providence of God? There's a lot of things that are going on that we have no control over. We don't know what's true and we don't know what's not true. But the best thing that we can do is trust that God knows what's best. He's providential. He's sovereign. And we've just got to trust Him. But if not, folks, no matter what happens, stick with God. Thank you for joining us this morning. May the Lord bless you.